Welcome to Curito Connects. I'm your host, Jen, and I've been conversing with friends around the world about life challenges and impactful moments. Conversations on this platform look at answering the questions, how we overcome challenges and how our experiences shape who we are and the work we do today. I hope this work can inspire you on your own personal and individual journey. Let's dive right in. Hello, my guest today is Krizia Lee, founder and CEO of Vermilion, a B2B e-commerce platform in Asian luxury design and arts. Hi, Krizia. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? Good. And how are you? I know you're recovering from COVID. So like, you know, if you cough a little, sniffle a little today, that's totally fine. <laughs> it's authentic. Yes. <laughs> it's authentic. And this is all about being authentic. Um, yes. So welcome to Carita Connects. Uh, and before I begin, I, I normally would like to give a shout out or introduce why, like how I met my guests. And so um, I met you through a mutual friend of ours, Christine Yu. So uh, hi to Christine. Um, and she introduced us about over a year ago. Uh, and I've admired Krizia's entrepreneurial energy from the day we connected. She's super passionate about her business and what she's achieving with it, um, which I will have you share with us a little bit later. Um, Krizia's impactful moments that we will share today are two events that I personally think really gives light on how it led her to create Vermilion. So back in 2008, uh, before attending business school, Krizia took an internship at Grameen Bank in Bangladesh and in Haiti um, after Haiti recovered from uh, that big earthquake they had. And that made her realize the power of social change. And then in 2012, when you visited the Met Costume Institute in New York City at the exhibition um, Through the Looking Glass, you noticed that the curators defined Chinese fashion with a lot of Vietnamese-style patties farming cone hats, uh, which made you feel, realize that Chinese culture was kind of misinterpreted. I mean, I think these two moments really made you think about what it means to be represented culturally uh, and socially. So, Chrissy, I'm going to stop here, and I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience first, uh, and then we can jump into these moments where you were moved by them and how it turned that light switch for you to start Vermillion in 2020, uh, the year COVID hit the world. Yes, the, the best year to start a company. <laughs> um, but yes, um, Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kritzia. I'm the founder of Vermilion, and Vermilion is a B2B e-commerce platform that showcases Asian luxury lifestyle brands to the world. And um, thank you, Jen, for uh, pointing out kind of a, a few of my kind of life turning points. But definitely um, one of the things that really hit me was the underrepresentation of Asian creators and makers in many spheres, actually. Um, not just talking about like normal industry, but definitely uh, in the creative arts, um, Asian designers are very underrepresented um, and it's often dominated by quite Western brands. So say, you know, French or Italian, Swiss or German brands, there's a lot of them and they command really uh, high pricing. But for some reason, Asian brands have always been seen as lower end, very mass, and maybe not the highest quality. Um, and of course, this theme has persisted in quite a few generations since industrialization in Asia. But I definitely think um, we are at a turning point in uh, the Asian economic evolution 
where we should seize back control of the narrative and just really say, hey, a lot of the innovations around the world were driven by Asian entrepreneurs and Asian uh, originators, and we're not getting the due recognition for it. And the world is starting to wake up to that too. I mean, a lot of uh, factories, uh, manufacturers, they do know, for example, you know, um, AI or even machinery, 3D printing, a lot of these are much more advanced in Asia than they are in the Western world. And so I think the insiders are already finding that out, but now how to communicate it with the rest of the world. And so that's what our platform tries to do. And we try to do that in different spheres, um, mostly starting with home and lifestyle. Um, and so we um, do have things that you can uh, touch, see, but also hear, feel, smell, and taste as well. So it's a full-on lifestyle spectrum for Asian brands and products. Um, so just to give you an idea, we not only carry, you know, tables, chairs, um, stools, uh, but we also carry art, um, but we also carry fragrances, candles, personal care, skin care, um, and also speakers. So anything you could conceivably find in a hospitality space, we would offer the best of Asia to you. That is a beautiful summary of what Vermilion does. <laughs> But I'm going to loop us back to um, having you uh, share with us um, about yourself. So a bit about my development path, I guess. Um, I would say that it really started uh, from university. So I went to Oxford. I studied politics, philosophy, uh, economics. Um, we did a lot of emerging market economics so at the time, I was quite into social enterprise, for-profit social enterprise, international organizations like United Nations. But of course, Hong Kong does not is not a, a representative state. And so we were not really allowed to participate in a lot of international organizations as well. So anyone with a social responsibility and care really had to do it from a private sector point of view. And so um, I joined investment banking um, I was thinking about how to raise capital for different companies. And then we joined uh, McKinsey that was really thinking about how to grow brands, especially bringing multinational brands into Asia. So that really kind of started my journey with thinking about consumer brands. Um, and then afterwards, I was working at Marriott uh, for hospitality um, and then McDonald's for uh, F&B service delivery. And then I realized at one point that I could be working for large Fortune 100s for the rest of my life, may not be getting to the top of the game because those are multinational companies um, and I'd always be the representative from Asia. Or we could really try and start and build something that would disrupt the world. Um, and I figured you're at a good age with a good professional network, um, good uh, experience to try this. So maybe now is the time when you still have the energy and the freedom to do something that might change the course of the world. Now is the moment. And so I am now giving it a go. I wanted to ask you when you mentioned that you studied social enterprise at Oxford and when you did your internship at Grameen, if you can uh, talk a little bit about the internship and also about Grameen for those um, who are listening, who don't have never heard of this organization, um, what they do and how you got involved with it. And 
Um, I thought that was very interesting that you brought up the fact that being in Hong, like coming back home, which is Hong Kong for you, um, there isn't as many um, like nonprofit social enterprise uh, companies, so to speak. So you had to you had to then go in from another angle, which Hong Kong is known for, right? A lot of financial institutions, a lot of big consulting firms. Um, to, so you went in into the field with that direction of uh, the fundraising aspect, and so. Um, could you kind of elaborate a little bit more about how you were able to merge the two on top of your internship experience and what really was eye-opening for you at that point? Yeah. So why don't I start with Grameen Bank and um, the amazing organization that is. Um, I think most people who uh, pay attention to social enterprises um, and international organizations might have heard of them before. It was started by Muhammad Yunus, who is a Bangladeshi um I believe a professor um, of economics. And then he actually started a microfinance organization, uh, which then grew to encompass many different industries. So um, it's really about, uh, it started with borrowings. So uh, small farmers, uh, mostly ladies in the countryside, because they actually realized that um, if they're borrowing, the most responsible person in the village usually is the ladies. Um, So they tend to be more socially networked and they have a stronger sense of responsibility. And they also, um, as a women's corporative, they tend to hold each other responsible for group decision-making. And so um, they found uh, microcredit to be especially effective and the return rates being much higher if you work through the female (laughs) segment. And um, a lot of these ladies in the Bangladeshi villages are borrowing tiny amounts of money to buy a cow or like to buy a tractor or to buy a motorbike. Um, And, you know, um, often to feed the family like dairy products or to transport things to uh, the farm or, uh, you know, till the fields. These are just very small amounts, but could make a really huge incremental impact to their livelihoods. Um, And so that's what Muhammad Yunus uh, really focused on. But then, of course, microcredit became a really big deal and and actually became profitable um, in the sense that he could actually have capital to plow into other areas. And so he started applying microcredit to um, agriculture and fisheries in general. So they actually have lots of um, fish farms, for example, that also um, are run under the Grameen organization and they also do textiles. So they do uh, women's cooperatives and factories that create um, um, textiles uh, for export. Um, And so like the Grameen organization actually has become quite a conglomerate now in many different pillars uh, and different different industries, but always with the same mission of to um, empower you know, the individual in the agricultural villages and really mobilize them in terms of uh, economic uh, productivity and also uh, financial self-sufficiency. And so I applied to it um, actually because I heard somebody else had been on an internship and you can actually determine how long you're there for. Um, Some of my Oxford classmates could probably be there for like whole six months. But I was there for a very short one um, and I had to have a translator uh, come with me and I went to stay at a bank branch where I followed the bank GM around to all his lending meetings 
um, and uh, the translator would translate to me the whole process. So I could see the ledger. He would tell me what everyone was borrowing the money for and like the people returning on the interest, you know, like and how the ladies uh, would work together. And I could interview the ladies as well. Um, and at the same time, I was teaching the bank GM's daughter English and we were cooking uh, meals together uh, at their home. And he would also introduce me to um, the different organizations. Uh, so I was at a village, but then I would meet the provincial GM as well. Um, and I would also have a social with all the other interns that were either interning at the textiles um, or the agriculture and fisheries departments as well. So then there could be a lot of mind meld in terms of you understanding how the entire Grameen organization works across all the different pillars, which is really amazing because in Hong Kong, it's an international city. Um, there's microcredit is really for um, countries with large amounts of um, kind of uh, small, medium enterprises and uh, individual uh, economic contributors, either in the agriculture um, or, you know, you can also do that in uh, workshops, um, you know, uh, and but like generally speaking, Hong Kong doesn't really have microcredit. And so um, it was really eye opening um, and it was really about tying in the emerging economy and how to move a less economic developed country into a mature economic um, country, which I thought was very key being a person from Asia and understanding how to kind of drive the engine. And it was a lot more meaningful to me than my investment banking job, obviously, at the time, because <laughs> I hate to say it, but like, you know, investment banking is for the companies that have already made it. <laughs> but there's so many other companies that have very little chance of making it. And so where you want to put um, to put your emphasis and your time and your effort um, in the legacy that you're leaving the world is very key to me. And I chose to put that in uh, economic empowerment um, and for-profit social enterprise instead, because I really felt that that would move the needle uh, for a lot more impact. Wow. I'm like still processing everything you just said and how that on top of what you introduced very beginning of the conversation with uh, Asian culture and Asian designers and artists and how you, yeah, like you really did merge the two together for uh, where you created Vermilion uh, today. Um, and so for you, were there any, were there any challenges during this period of when you decided to switch out of corporate, right? Because like you, you mentioned earlier, it, it, you could have just chose to stay put in these, you know, top hundred companies, which which you built your career upon, uh, you know, after you graduated and uh, from school. So, what was the driving force for you to? just, uh, you know, decide to switch to be like, okay, well, you know, you're still hungry to want to make an impact uh, on the social enterprise side, which obviously for Vermilion is introducing all these, you know, very boutique designers and helping them get, you know, get on a platform where they get more exposure to the world to see these, you know, all these amazing craftsmen uh, in the region. And then also to, uh, right, promote the authentic as we were talking about authenticity yeah. uh, uh, representation of these uh, different different cultures in Asia yeah I guess the challenges were 
I would say, honestly, I think this touched a chord with many people. Um, I mean, because it's a for-profit social enterprise and it's not just like a charitable activity, um, people could see that there's a path to profitability and self-sustainability. And I think that's quite key, actually. Because like when you want to make social change, I and Muhammad Yunus, the whole principle is that what you're doing should be able to maintain the momentum for these brands to find a path out to financial independence. Um, and that, I think a lot of people see value. Um, it wasn't that hard to get everyone on board. Um, I do think, however, that like working with uh, small, medium-sized creators and makers, and I'm sure you know many people also agree, it's not easy. <laughs> Actually, half the time, the challenge is really... Um, on bottlenecking people's thinking because a lot of small, medium-sized makers and creators tend to not necessarily be the most um, professional segment. They tend to be much more kind of hands-on, operational, uh, micro, um, and they don't necessarily think like a platform. They don't they have platform-based thinking, which means that they just are very happy doing their one thing over and over again, but they don't think beyond that. And so actually a lot of the times the challenge of building a platform with emerging makers is helping them see the bigger picture, but also giving them the development path to kind of get to the sophistication level where they could achieve the bigger picture as well. So for example, a lot of brands never considered uh, social media marketing even, or they never considered international shipping, or they never considered working with English-speaking clients. Because in their space, they were very happy to maintain it within the limited sphere that they could understand themselves. But going beyond the sphere that they can understand is actually part of the challenge. And I'm sure, Jen, you're like nodding too, because like you probably encountered a little bit of that. There's a bit of the fear. They have some fear sometimes of going into the unknown and the unfamiliar. Yes. Yes. And so when you ask them to do things beyond their comfort level, uh, a lot of it's like the persuasion that you have, your skills of helping them see like the benefits to them um, and the participation. For the client side, funnily enough, um, it's actually, they're quite on board. They're like, oh, I want to help them. Like, I want to give them business. I want to meet more cause small, unknown, fresh, young brands. Like, the client side is not the problem. Actually, so half the time, it's a, it's the kind of the <laughs> brand partner side that is the hurdle you need to overcome. It's very interesting, huh? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I like that we are sharing this you know, um, how should I put it? You know, normally you would think in a situation of how you created this with that passion and what you were trying to drive it. And then then while you're doing it, you're unfolding where the issue, like it's not issues, but just kind of like where your challenges are that you didn't think it would be the case. It's like complete opposite, right? Like you're having this opposite effect. Yeah, a lot of the time when you start a company, what you think might be the challenge is actually not the the actual challenge you're going to encounter. All your theories might go out the window and then you suddenly realize that you're encountering a whole different situation um, that you thought before. Like 
you know, it's anything from the pricing the clients are willing to absorb to the model, the expectations of the different sides, which are completely not the same as what you thought might be. Um, there's a lot of learnings and a lot of unexpected situations. Um, and you just kind of have to take it as it comes. You know, that's really what like being entrepreneurial is about, like finding the pain points and also the opportunities and reacting to them very quickly. And so you started during COVID. Um, and how has that been for you um, as a online platform and physical products? Um, was that tricky for you to launch uh, during this COVID period? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I'm sure a lot of companies will agree. COVID made everyone very risk averse and very conservative. Um, and so a lot of people would probably be reacting slightly differently to how they would normally react in a normal time, um, whether they're like waiting and seeing when they should spend money or a lot of projects being postponed and delayed because like, you know, people are not able to come back to the factory to work and like they can't produce things on deadline or they can't ship out because all the shipping companies are also very, um, you know, disrupted in supply chains and Oh, just so many parts of the chain were disrupted by COVID at some way or another. Um, but generally, I think it just highlights the need of digitization because you can rely on clients around you in person. But during COVID, it just goes to show when you can't leave the house, when you can't visit a factory, when you can't have a face-to-face -face meeting, these digital sales channels become so much more crucial um, and especially if people can't fly, so no one can fly to see a factory or do diligence something or like quality control, like your production line, like digital is the next best thing. Um, and having that contingency plan is really crucial. And so actually a lot of industries have discovered during COVID that digitization has got to be the way forward. So in a way it was advantageous for us, but on the actual execution side of like, you know, having people to build the the product and to get people to ship the product, that was difficult. But like the market need was in fact uh, doubly highlighted. So, you know, net net, I guess, <laughs> you know, it positive and with little challenges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of going back to you um, and, and, and I, you did already illustrate uh, the reasons for what inspired you to start Vermillion. But um, if you had to go back and think about some, of the, you know, like how you were, how you were raised, um, you're born and raised in Hong Kong. Is that, is that right? Um, or you were? I was born in London and raised in Hong Kong, went to boarding school in the UK, and then I did master's in the US, but worked in Hong Kong most of my life. Uh, flying to China and Southeast Asia. Mm. Yeah, quite quite global. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So how that impacted the worldview, I suppose? Yes, yes. How it impacted your, your worldview. And yeah. Well, I think it's definitely a privilege, right, to be able to travel and work with many different clients across many different geographies and countries because the context is quite different. Like I worked in Jakarta. I worked in Vietnam. I also worked in Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, I worked on IPOs in Thailand. You know, um, all the countries have different uh, environments and uh, context. So for example, um, 
if you are operating in Thailand, it's very, very different from like operating in Shanghai. Like not just regulatory, but the people, the people's mindsets and sensibilities are also very, very different, right? Like it's like if you are in Southeast Asia, people tend to be more relaxed and chill and like, you know, they're happy. Whereas in the North, like people are a lot more kind of like, you know, very purposeful driven <laughs> aggressive yeah like just, just a lot of it gives you a lot more uh i think tolerance um and understanding of variety and that's really what our platform also is about it's like we're working across 12 different countries right so we're working in like japan korea uh china hong kong singapore uh thailand indonesia uh, you know, Malaysia. Um, and so when we sourcing from all these countries, the way of doing business is also quite different. So in Japan, you would prefer to speak Japanese, the local language, and you'd have to know a lot of the business etiquette, you know, like um, the gift giving, um, the greetings, the formalities, the unspoken rules, um, the courtesies, you know, um, and the respect that you have to confer the craftsmen. Um, these in Japan, like these business etiquette rules are quite different from those in, say, I don't know, China, for example. China, everyone's very motivated, very ambitious. Everyone wants to make money. So everyone's like, I'll try anything. Uh, whereas like, I would say in Japan, doing business would be quite conservative, right? So it's just like, yeah, a, a, a lot of this exposure would build into a person the the tolerance and also the agility and flexibility to anticipate different situations, which could create, you know, a different dynamics, like whether positive dynamic or maybe a potential kind of like challenge. Um, and a lot of it's people driven. Um, so having that exposure actually really helps your EQ. And, you know, EQ and doing business is definitely a very large part of it, right? Mm. Yeah. It's not just it's not just the functional money-making side. The way that you're making money is also quite important. <laughs> Did anyone in your um, social circle in your life, uh, at, or I guess like mentors, so to speak, um, kind of like guided you in this like path so to speak uh for you to realize this or do you are you more kind of like a you just really experienced it and then you you know you went into different industries and exposures for you to be like oh okay this is this is how the world works like this is this is how this works and I'm assuming you apply this with your staff at Vermillion as well your client facing side as well um with how you you know structure and run the business yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I've had a lot of women leaders um, and women role models, um, all of the very different styles, of course. I mean, um, you know, in banking, I had women MDs, McKinsey, you know, women partners, um, and of course, not just women, but like, you know, they were quite instrumental to me. And working in luxury retail, definitely a lot of uh, female uh, senior people. Um, and a lot in hospitality as well because like a lot of it really is about detail driven kind of uh, attention to detail um, being considerate and thoughtful anticipating a lot of circumstances a lot of these are part of what retail luxury um, hospitality 
F&B service, F&B operations, like a lot of this just about anticipation and being able to predict what someone wants without actually someone being able to articulate it to you. Mm. That's the trick. Um, and so this kind of carries through and so many aspects, not just as like people management and team management, but also um, in the kind of day-to-day working with your uh, creative partners because a lot of designers are actually they're you'll be surprised like not all of them are very extroverted quite a lot of them are quite introverted and very into their art and so like being able to understand like what they're looking for um, in their careers and also what they're looking for from you as a service provider as a platform is quite key in keeping everyone quite happy um, but also for the client as well because a lot of corporate clients you know are looking for the above and beyond but what does above and beyond mean um, to a service provider and a platform like ourselves. So a lot of this really in consumer retail is about soft skills. Um, and a lot of the kind of mentor figures in my life have taught us different elements of it, whether it was in banking, like, you know, kind of not leaving a single stone unturned, being super detail oriented, checking all the page numbers, you know, making sure all the font sizes and bullet points were lined up in the same font size, like that <laughs> level of that level of OCD to, you know, in luxury where everything that you do has to be with some sort of flair. So like your PowerPoints always have to be beautiful. All the photos need to be high resolution, like every slide, how it looks and how good it looks sometimes matters more than what actually is the content on it. <laughs> That is very retail. Um, and, you know, in F&B operations, it's really obviously, you know, uh, making people feel comfortable um, in your environment and in hospitality, like figuring out the pain points of travel. Because, for example, my ex-boss, um, who's now the head of innovation for Marriott International based at, in Bethesda, Maryland, like she, Peggy, she, you know, was figuring out the innovation journey for hotels and like, you know, feeling tired when he got off the plane, the, the long commute. Do you want to really be working with a front office person, uh, waiting in a really large line for the loyalty program members? Like these are things that what can we fix as pain points on a customer journey? These are all things a lot of my, my mentor figures and guides helped us think through the problem and find creative ways to solve it. Wow. Yeah, and that's I feel like you just, you just gave us all a little like lesson here. <laughs> yeah. It's custom. Well, it is experience design. It's user experience design. It's just not UX design in a website sense, but UX design in a real life sense. How yeah. do I love it. Optimize. Yes. <laughs> So helpful. Um, so I like, okay, well, we're kind of coming short on time and I, I thank you for sharing uh, your story uh, and your journey. Um, but I usually like to ask people towards the end um, a few things and I'm just going to throw out the questions and you can pick and choose as you wish on how to answer this, but kind of like what keeps you grounded uh, in your day-to-day -day routine? What books or podcasts or mentors, like you mentioned, really inspired you Um along the way or that, you know, when you uh, meet uh, other mentees, I mean, I guess you, you can be considered a mentor now, like what would, you know, what would you recommend them to read or, uh, you know, to 
reference, uh, so to speak. And lastly, what two cents would you give the audience who are listening to this particular episode and resonate with your storyline? Or sometimes this particular question, I reverse it and say, what would you tell your younger self what you know now? That's a lot of questions that are very rich. Um, <laughs> I guess I will, I will go for how to keep grounded and what to tell the audience or maybe okay. yourself. Maybe it could be the same. All right. So I would say what keeps me grounded is actually, honestly, all the new people that I've met while I was pulling um, all the creators and makers and all the corporate clients onto this one platform ecosystem um, really humbled me because you realize there's so many people out there that are so talented. They are so low key. They really don't package or market themselves in any way. But when you really dig deep and talk to them, you're like, oh my goodness, you have such interesting thoughts or like you downplay your talent so much. How can I help you succeed? Like these are things that really inspire me every day. It's our partners um, who are all trying to build the world that they want to live in. Um, and it really makes me motivated to help them build the world that they want to live in, but they hope to share with everyone else as well. Um, that's really energizing to me. Um, and I guess in terms of like the words of advice to the audience and like what to tell my younger self, which could be the same, <laughs> I guess no one would have known my career path would take me on this journey to be very honest with you. Like, I mean, when you're young and you just graduate, you'd be like, oh, I should be a lawyer. Or I'll be like a doctor or I will have, I'll be like J.K. Rowling and have like a, you know, book that will be turned to thousands <laughs> of movies and then I will never have to work again. But like life never works out the way that you think it would. And I think it's so key to the way to get a fulfilling life emotionally, intellectually, I think is because you are changing constantly and evolving at every step of the journey, you are also not the same person at every moment in time. And I think it's very key to remember that because like a lot of young people be like, oh my goodness, my first job is so critical, so crucial. But actually it isn't. What you do in your first job probably has nothing to do with the next job that you're going to do or nothing to the job that you do after the next. I think the key thing is to always know a part of what you're looking for and to constantly chase a role that offers a part of what you want. There's never going to be the perfect job, but it will always, if you follow your gut and your passion, you will find your way and you should embrace uh, your life's professional journey as an adventure because it is, because it will always teach you something that you never realize about yourself and the world. And that could turn you into a very different person uh, at every step. So embrace it and really love it because the outcome is really the journey. The outcome's not the outcome. The outcome is the path. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that was so well said. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's a great way to um, conclude this conversation today. <laughs> yes. 
everyone <laughs> enjoy your adventure. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. Enjoy adventure. And I, um, I'm going to include all the resources so people can um, find you or connect with you. Um, and if you're a maker out there, you know, and want to be on the platform, you know, there's ways to uh, get contacted with your staff too, to, to get themselves on Vermilion too. Um, yes. So what else was I going to say? Oh, and I wanted to say, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, when you guys, when's the, I mean, the world is opened up, but, you know, as more offline events happen, maybe there could be like a Vermilion pop-up uh, out here in Taiwan too, or, you know, yeah. elsewhere, elsewhere in the region. So you hope. guys have quite, quite a presence in Singapore already. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, yeah. Well, is there anything oh. else you wanted to add on uh, before we conclude here? Um, <laughs> definitely check out our 240 Asian creators and makers and follow us on Instagram, Vermilion Lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> Support us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jen. Enjoy, everyone. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Curito Connects. For more Connects content, collaborations, and discoveries set to inspire you on your own individual journey, please head to our website at www.curito.co. Until next time, stay inspired and thank you for joining us at Curito Connects.